Good afternoon, folks. Hope you're all doing well. Thank you for those that are watching these broadcasts. I appreciate that. It's a lot of information for us, a lot of things for us to take in. I'm trying to just kind of skim over it, but uh, that's not the best sometimes. We have to delve into some of the deeper things, and there's a lot of things in Revelation that are very deep. Although it's not a difficult book to understand if you get the gist of it, and we're trying to do that. And also bring up applications for ourselves as we go along. Okay, now we're up to the, the uh, Church of Philadelphia. The Lord is, uh, has John writing to uh, the angel of the church in Philadelphia, Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 to 13. You'll note that this church is um, uh, one of the two that has nothing to repent of. The Lord Jesus doesn't tell them off about anything. Just, it's just a good church and uh, doing everything right, as it were. Again, uh, Get your pens and paper and such and write down as much as you can in references. We're going to look at some things. Sometimes we'll be looking at things and talking about things maybe you might not understand, maybe a little too deep for you, good to write things down. You can reference it and look at it yourself. But let's just get going and have a look at some of the things here, beginning at verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy. Now he, the Lord's, uh, when he starts the introduction to each of these churches, he says something about himself as pertaining to that church. He mentions four things about himself, well, right off the bat, four things, and then he says, I know thy works is the fifth, but he says, he that is holy, this is the Lord Jesus Christ, and that holiness as God is holy. We get a little further on in the next section, we're going to see some uh, creatures around the throne room of God, right around the throne, and their job is to just say, Holy, 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 just all the time, that's what they do. Because God is absolutely holy. I don't know if we can, with our finite mind, even grasp that. The Bible says for us to worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. He wants us to be a holy people. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And it took the blood of Jesus Christ, the blood of God, to cleanse the believer to cleanse us in such a manner that the Spirit of God could come and live within us. The Spirit of God could not live, indwell um, those that believed before the cross of Calvary. Keep in mind that fact that He is absolutely holy. The opposite of holiness, what would that be? Would be sin, unholiness, sin. Just think about that. We can just take any one of these little things and make a whole lesson on that, but we have to get going. He that is holy and he that is true. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto me. No man comes unto the Father but by me. He that is true. There's no lies about him. There's no falsities about him. In fact, the Bible says... It's one of the things that is impossible for God to do. You know, there's some things that God cannot do. One of them is lie. Because he's absolutely holy. You say, well, what's a lie? It's nothing. Well, you get to the end of the book of Revelation, you'll find he says, and all liars have their place in the lake of fire. Serious, serious stuff. Don't kid yourself. Don't let anybody kid you. He that is holy, he that is true, he that has the key of David... He's talking about David's throne, David being the king over Israel. And Jesus is in the, the lineage of and, uh, Joseph, his 
stepfather, as it were, in the lineage of David. And Jesus is the rightful ruler to the throne of Israel and the, the, the throne of the world, if you could put it that way, the King of kings and Lord of lords. There he is. Just to remember, who is this that we're talking to? Who is it that we're dealing with when we pray, or when we live, when we look to the Lord? All that we do, this is him. He's holy. He's true. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. And look at what he can do and what he does. He says, he that opens, he can open doors and nobody can shut them. If God sets a way and declares that a way is open for you, for a church, for whatever it is he can do, nobody can stop that thing. Nobody. He that opens and no man shuts, and shuts and no man opens. If God closes a door, we don't need to be trying to push it open. It won't do any good. It won't do any good. But to look at him and see the, the wonders of God Almighty, the wonders of Christ, he that is holy, he that is true, the King of kings and Lord of lords, he that has the key of David, he that opens and no man shuts and gives opportunities for individuals to do things for him and such, and opens doors. Verse 8, I know thy works. Of course he does. He's the Lord. He knows everything. He says, Behold, I have set before thee an open door that no man can shut. For that church, the wonderful little church in Philadelphia, or called Philadelphia, uh, it has the, the, the word, the new words Philadelphia means brotherly love. Okay, They had that. They were, I believe it was a small church. It says that in verse 8, an open door that no man can shut, for thou hast a little strength. He says, you've kept my name, or kept my word. You've kept my word and has not denied my name. Now, I think this is very important. He says, Jesus, Jesus says to them, thou hast a little strength. And for us to understand that we do have little strength, that Jesus Christ is our strength. Without him, we can do nothing. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He says, Thou hast kept my word and not denied my name. Now we want to just stop and think about that for a moment and think about the times and what they've just come through and what been, what's been going on. Now, <clears throat> a lot of people believe that the book of Revelation was penned by John in the 90s, in the first century in the 90s, like around 92 or whatever it was like that. I don't believe that's true myself. Uh, I don't find any internal uh, evidence for that. But I'll just give you a hint of something. When we get to chapter 17, we'll look at it a little closer. But in Revelation chapter 17, verses 10 and 11, it says this, and there are seven kings. Now note how he says it and note the tense. There are. So at this time when John was told to write these things, he says there are seven kings. So there's seven kings that uh, have something to do with or to show something about the time and what was taking place and such. And there are seven kings. Five are fallen. So it means five are gone. They're dead, I guess. I guess. That's what the Bible says. And one is. So there's seven kings he's involved with here. Five of them are gone. One is. So they're under the rule. John and them are under the rule of this sixth one. And this is going to be a, a seventh. Okay, and he will come for a short time, continue a short space. And he goes on to say in verse 11, And the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth, one after, and is, a, and, and is of the seven, and goes into perdition. Now, I believe this, that he's talking about 
the Roman Caesars. He's talking about after the, the uh, Republic had fallen, I can say fallen because it had fallen into a state of now they have dictators and imperial, the empire of Rome now. And I want to mention to you the seven here. You have Augustus Caesar, Tiberius, Caligula, Claudius, Nero, Galba is the sixth, and then you have Otho who appeared for three months. Was Why just those? We'll get into that later on, but just to suffice to say right now, um, if this be so, then the year was AD 68. You see, Nero died in um, spring of 68, spring, early summer of 68. And then the guy that followed him was Galba. And he only was for from like August or so until like the end of the year or something, just a few months, okay? Um, Nero had died. But you'll notice that verse 11 in that chapter 17, it says that, and the beast that was and is not. He says he's going to be the eighth. This guy that was called the beast. Now the fifth one was Nero. And he reigned for a number of years. And he was a terrible persecutor of Christians. He's the one that was responsible for them. The Colosseum for casting them to the animals and the lions and all that stuff. And more horrible things that we won't get into right now. He was called the beast. He was a picture of that antichrist which will come. This is him, a picture of that. And uh, he says, he will come back. Will it be actually him or somebody like him? It'll be somebody like him probably. But these things, I believe, are true. And this is what the Lord has said in Revelation 17. He says, there are seven kings. To, he says, note this, there's seven, five are gone. You're in the, the reign of this one, which would put them in AD 68. And some say, well, they don't believe that for this reason and that. Well, that's fine and dandy. You go search out the Bible and you find where it says and talks about um, these things that fit your time frame. This fits with 8068. When we get up to chapter 70, we're going to get into this in detail, okay? But suffice to say, we had uh, Nero who persecuted the Christians and such. He's dead now. They've just got a new em emperor. Now, if you stop and think about the Church of Philadelphia and these other churches and the area all around there had just come through the reign of Nero. The Apostle Paul um, knew about Nero. He met with him. He stood before him. It was, the, it was uh, Nero that was the Caesar, I believe, when the Apostle Paul had his head cut off. Okay? Now the Philadelphia church has come through that. The Lord says, Thou hast kept my word. Thou hast not denied my name. Easy to do in good times. But those were the hardest of the hard times. The most difficult times. In, in and through that reign of Nero and he wanted to obliterate Christianity and everything to do with Jesus Christ. He couldn't do it, of course. He couldn't do it. Let's go back into the Bible. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door and no man can shut it, for thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Verse 9, Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which they are Jews and are not, do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. They've had a lot of, uh, they had a lot of uh, uh, persecution from others round about them. A lot of the Jewish people wanted them to to uh, keep the laws and so on and so forth, the laws of Moses. He says, I'll make them come and worship before thy feet. 
I believe what's in the picture here, it doesn't mean that he was gonna, they were going to come and fall down at the preacher's feet. God forbid that's not to take place. Some churches, they, people almost do that kind of thing. That's not the proper thing. That's not the proper way. And John fell down before the angel. He says, stand up. I'm a servant like you are. I think either some of them are going to get saved and they would end up in the services worshiping the Lord before the others there. I believe that's what's taking place there. And I will make them to know that I have loved thee. When they thought that they were doing a thing for God and persecuting them and such. Verse 10, because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation or trial that shall come upon the whole world to try, the, to try them that dwell upon the earth. They kept the command to persevere. Again, we can take things out of this for ourselves, but if you can't get anything else out of this, pay attention to that. That command to pers persevere. No matter what comes your way, no matter what difficulty comes your way, you just keep on. You just keep going. You just keep looking to the Lord. Just keep standing up for Jesus and keep speaking up for Jesus. Christians, keeping the faith. That's what we have here. Just keeping the faith. The Lord says, I'll look after you when the hard times come and the difficulties come. He kept them through that whole thing there with the persecutions of Rome and, and then the, the Jews as well coming upon them. Verse 11, Behold, I come quickly, hold fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. I come quickly. Now, a lot of people think, well, this, meant, this means a time frame, so he must, the Lord Jesus is going to return uh, early on. Well, where is he? What happened? Well, because he didn't come back yet, did he? You say, well, they thought that back then, but that's not what that word means. Um, the word right here in chapter 3, verse 11, that quickly, it means swiftly. It's uh, the word that the Spirit of God gave for John to write down is the word, I don't know if I pronounce it properly, is taku, or something like that, how you pronounce it. And over in chapter 1, verse 1, he says, I come shortly. It's basically the same word as he uses there. And they mean swiftly or speedily, okay? Uh, so by the definition of the word, it's not about when the Lord was going to come back, it's how the Lord returns. It, when, he, when he begins to come back, it'll be done, the whole thing will be done swiftly. When he returns, it will be quickly, it will be speedily. That word taku, or I mean, pronounce it. It's interesting, a bit of a rabbit trail there. If you study words, we'll see that in our English language, we have a thing, maybe you have a car or a motorcycle, you have a thing in there called a tachometer. That's where this word, that's where we, that our English word, tack or tachometer, uh, it counts or indicates the revolutions of the crankshaft or how fast it's going, how fast it's turning, the revolutions per minute of the crankshaft. It displays engine speed, tack. And that's what the word is right there. I, behold, I come quickly. Didn't mean that in a short time he was coming, but it meant that when he comes, it'll be done fast, it'll be done quickly. Hold fast means to simply have a sure grip on things. You got a good grip on things, you got a good grip on salvation. As God uh, wants us to be in uh, prayer and Bible study and looking to the Lord always. That no man take thy crown. 
Now, we're not going to get into the crowns, but there are rewards for believers. It's kind of like some say, well, like a believer's payday, but that's not really the right way to put it, because the Lord is our reward, isn't he? That's our reward. He says, I want you to hold fast. I want you to keep on that you don't lose these crowns, because there's uh, five crowns that could be for the believer. Um, there's an incorruptible crown, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 25 to 27. Uh, there's a crown of rejoicing in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19. There's a crown of righteousness, 2 Timothy 4, verses 7 to 8. There's a crown of glory in 1 Peter 5, 2 to 4. And there's the crown of life in James chapter 1, verse 12. These things are things given to uh, believers, given to the believers. And he that overcomes, well, I... Him, to him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will go up, shall go, and he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is in New Jerusalem. We see the Lord just offering up these blessings, the blessings that are, are going to be for the believers. A temple, that's a, a pillar in the temple of my God. A pillar is something very important, that's a very strong feature. Sometimes there's a uh, pillar is just for uh, for looks, and sometimes it's for structure. But it's an important thing. You go no more, uh, go no more out. You just be with the Lord, staying with Him always. I'll write upon Him the name of uh, my God and the name of the city of my God, which is the New Jerusalem. The Bible tells us when we get further on down the Book of Revelation that the new city, the city of Jerusalem, the New Jerusalem is going to come out of heaven. We're not going to spend eternity in heaven. The Lord's going to change everything. Heaven's going to be gone. God is going to have heaven come to earth, as it were. It's going to be there. The temple of my God is I'll write my name upon him. It's interesting to note that the Bible has a lot to say about that, about the names being written and such. And we know in Revelation, um, people are fascinated by the uh, Antichrist and the 666 and uh, all that goes with that sort of thing. The devil's going to put his mark on people, and they will be his people, and they're, they're done for, they're damned if they take that mark. But to have God's name, to have God's mark upon you, and you're just uh, uh, kept, and you're secure forever. Jesus gives of his possessions to the believer. He says, I'll write upon him my new name. He's just giving all the time. God's always giving, isn't he? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And then when you get saved, he gives the Holy Spirit to us. And he gives us things. He gives us the opportunity we're going to be reigning with him. He gives us the opportunity right now to stand for him and speak for him. And he's just giving and giving and giving to us all the time. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Well, I thought we were going to take a little bit longer on this, but, uh, but uh, not so it looks like. But anyways, he that hath an ear, reminded again, every one of the letters, he has that in the conclusion of it. If you have an ear, an ear to hear about the things of God, some people just don't, they just don't understand it. can't understand scripture, you can't understand scripture without the Holy Spirit. But to have that ear, to know what God's saying, to know what God wants. Let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Well, you read through that uh, for yourselves and go through that and have a look at that chapter 17, verses 10 and 11, and what I said about the Caesars, 
Check that out, you see the time. I believe it's AD 68 this was penned. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, if John was uh, um, in uh, penning this in the 90s, John would be a very, very old man. He'd be probably about 90 years old in that area anyways. And then the angel in, uh, I think it's chapter 10, tells him that he will uh, speak and prophesy again and to others and so on and so forth. Well, that'd be a pretty good thing to do if you're 90 some years old. Um, the other thing is, um, no, we won't get into that. We'll save that for later. Sorry about that. Anyways, thank you for your attention. We'll do the uh, letter to Laodicea soon, the last one, and then we're going to get into a whole new section in the book of Revelation and we get through these letters. These letters for us to study out, for you to study it out yourself, read through these things, read through them and see how does that apply to me? How does that fit me? How does that fit my life, my church, myself today? Um, take your Bible and make sure you study it, read it, listen to it. Okay? Thank you for your attention. In Jesus' name, we just uh, thank you very much.